And may I say, Easter Sunday, I'm biased, but it is the best day of the year. Amen. Um, so it's an honour to be able to, to preach to you tonight. And I was specifically asked to prepare on one particular verse, and it's from Paul. And he's writing to the church of Ephesus, and they're a budding, they're a vibrant young church, quite like what we've got right here. Uh, and in, in just reading it out before I sort of get into the message, just sort of want to prepare you for um, maybe a, a message that was a little bit more intimate than expected. Uh, and so from Ephesians 1, verse 16 onwards, it says, to Paul, to this church, that I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints." And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? I love this because without actually having the knowledge of the story of Easter, the knowledge of who God is and what he's done for us, it's really hard to get the wisdom and the revelation of it. So I want to encourage you that in having that, he says, prepare yourself by having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So I'm not sure what you're going through right now, but by bringing um, your situations, by bringing your past experiences into the Easter message, sometimes it gets a bit cloudy. So I just want to prepare your hearts and just say to have a clean slate, that from past times it's probably just repetition, 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 and you sort of lose that um, that freshness of what the gospel really means and how it applies to my life. And by doing so, we sort of tap into the heart of God. Uh, and I love the, the fact that we've been made in the image of God. I love that because it means that when he's um, made our hearts, he's made a little pocket in our hearts that only he can fill. And we can try to fill it with everything. Like even a Comgades medal, that, that just... Nothing. That, that, can't, that can't fill up that deep desire rooted into you to have something of eternal purpose. It says in Ecclesiastes 3 that God ingrained in us a desire for eternity and that we can try and silence that as much as we can and we can try and fill that up with the thoughts of that this is all we've got. Like in sports, it's just like your time is now, take it. It's like... The time is so short now, we've got eternity to look forward to because of what Jesus has done. So it's incredible. But the entire Bible, I, if you want to read your Bible more, get a pretty Bible. That's, that's, that tip was for free, okay? Like, so I, I love this Bible because it says from the very beginning to the very end, just this ingrained need for a saviour. Just from the very beginning, we have Adam and Eve, bless them, but they ate from the fruit, and God asked them not to, and out of disobedience, they just, they wanted to hide from God because they were fearful of the punishment that he'd bring to them, and from there, we just sort of see it like trickling down as us sort of not measuring up again and again, 
So in order to sort of fix that, God sends through some incredible prophets of the Old Testament. And one prophet and one great man of God is Moses. What a great name, Moses. And Moses was born in a time in Egypt. And it was at a time when the Pharaoh was a little bit uh, scared of the increase of population of God's people, which were Hebrews. So in order to do that, they, he enslaved them. And then he put a death penalty pretty much to all baby boys because he didn't want to build up an army that would retaliate. He wanted to keep his, his kingdom, his Egypt intact. So what happened was that Moses was born and rather than throwing him in and drowning him in the Nile River, his mum said a whispered a prayer and just floated him down the river. And as ironic as it is, Pharaoh's very own daughter is bathing at the river at that time, comes in, looks down at this baby and just has mercy on it. In fact, she draws it out of the water and Moses means to draw out. So she said, that's why she'd called him that. And she kept him and she looked after him and he was given Egyptian royalty, like all the things that Egypt could give him. But he considered it useless compared to having an identity of a God that was over slaves. There was something ingrained in his heart from those very conception that there was more to life than just the fleeting riches. And the Egyptians and the Hebrew people would remember this name Moses because he would draw those people out of slavery into a land promised to his ancestors. And Moses became good friends with God. They talked face to face. I think that is incredible. I'm waiting for the day I get that chance. <laughs> but, and on the mountain when they're talking, it says that the glory of his face shone so bright that he needed a veil. And when he came down from speaking to God, he had these big stab, uh, tablets, these stone tablets, and they had the Ten Commandments on them. And that's sort of where we can link Moses and these commandments. And that was simple. But we have one problem. We're human. And we're not perfect. And as simple as these laws were to keep, none of us could keep them. And as much as Moses did for us as a people, that too was just led astray. So in order to get to this holy, sovereign, perfect, like perfect God, and our state of not being enough, we needed to bridge that gap somehow. And so one of the laws was a sacrifice. And that sacrifice was that your shortcomings, your sin was put onto an animal, usually this baby lamb, and it was killed. And it was for the price of blood that could bring you back into this intimacy with God. You see, the law was made to like almost like a fence around you to keep you in, in proximity and in intimacy with this loving God, keep you close. But what would happen would be a band-aid over it. It wouldn't actually be of the forgiveness of sins. So that's the old. And so we continue on, more sacrifices, more, um, <laughs> more longing for something more. And Moses, along with the prophets and the Psalms and all of these people leading up to the New Testament is an anticipation that one day one person is going to come and they're going to live a perfect life. And they're going to be one to save 
to be, an, to be an ultimate sacrifice to bring you back into proximity and intimacy with God forever. And that's where we have Jesus. Jesus, this incredible, incredible person. And again, we can see some parallels that um, we have that when Jesus was born, the, the king of the Herod of the time wanted to have a death penalty of all the kids, all, all the boys under two years old, because he thought that his kingdom was a bit at risk. And so Mary and Joseph, they flee and they take him. And we see that Jesus isn't just an ordinary boy. Being born of a virgin is maybe a bit of a giveaway. <laughs> and the name Jesus means to deliver, to rescue. But he wasn't delivering and rescuing a certain people out of slavery from Egypt. He came to deliver and rescue all people for all time, under all circumstances, to deliver and rescue us from death. And he knew it. That sacrifice to that bridge to bring us close, he knew it. And so Jesus, just living an incredible life, was perfect. He fulfilled every prophecy and law that you could have of him. And it's a big book, right? It took a cost. <laughs> I'm thankful for undercarriage baggage because this would not have been able to be in the seven kilo. But it's just so many laws and so many hoops to jump through to try and even get close to it. And nobody could do it because he was actually God in man, in flesh. And he did some crazy things that we didn't quite understand especially the leaders of the time for the Jewish community where they were following all of these laws that Moses had, had given them, that God had given them to try and make up, to try and get that banded surface really close to God and work their way up to a holy God. The reason why they're working up because he's just so good and that death is just so scary. So, and here's Jesus healing people in the streets, telling people about him, miraculous, miraculous lifestyle, but even talking about and teaching about kingdom of love. And this love, he actually demonstrates. See, there's this woman, she was a prostitute, and all these leaders of the town wanted to kill her. And he makes a bold statement that if you've never sinned, then you throw the first stone. And he's just drawing in the sand. And all of them leave away. And he says, woman, where are they? And he says, they're gone. Says, they didn't condemn you, so I won't either. I forgive your sins. Nothing could forgive sins, and here is this Jesus forgiving sins. They were outraged, of course. They wanted him gone with. They were just annoyed and scared of the power that he had. So they wanted to get rid of him. And you know, this is completely irrelevant, but completely relevant. When I rock up to a school athletics carnival, right? and the girls are jumping 120 and I'm out there doing 194, I could see the plots in their mind to get rid of me somehow. Because <laughs> they knew that that bar was like, <laughs> they couldn't make the mat and I could, I could make the upright. You know, there was that difference. <laughs> and so they just wanted to get rid of it. That's what we do as humans. We see that and we're just like, that is out of the league. We need to, get, we need to, we need to finish him. But you see, as humble and as meek and as beautiful and as loving as Jesus was. He actually knew it. And he knew that he was coming here 
to die a death, a death a gruesome way, because he knew that in order to get proximity, in order to open the door for all of us, he needed to actually step into that and become a sacrifice. And it was a sacrifice that was just so, so horrific. You know, like we, we look at the cross and we, we don't actually understand the fullness of it. But the fact that he willingly did it, that the hands and the palms that healed people, that held children, that calmed the winds and waves, he allowed them to have them nailed. And they weren't emptied of their power. You see, he would have had the complete authority and power on that cross to push out those nails. You have to understand for someone of that authority and of that power, he could have come down off that cross willingly, easily, but he chose not to. And we can be really confused as to why he wouldn't after we'd rejected him, mocked him, but he knew that this was in order to not only fulfill a law that was given to the people by Moses, but to complete it into fullness, that we can have access to this loving father that he knew. And so he did, knowingly, out of love. So when he was on the cross, and he looks at it, and he cries out that it is finished, when he's crying out, the people of the city that he's in, it, the rocks cra crack, there's an earthquake, the temple falls down, and this veil, you know the veil that Moses wore because the glory of God was too much for the people? There was a veil that was in the temple, and it was to have the holiness and the beauty of God and everyone else outside of it. And with his last breath and yell, this temple curtain, this veil tore, and intimacy with God was available to all. And that is incredible. It's incredible to think that we now have access into this life. But you see, it could have stopped there. It could have been the best life and death of anyone. But in three days later, when the town's still mourning, when the town's still unsure of what's going on, there's, there's rubble on the ground, there was darkness, there was grief in the city. Here we see and hear that Jesus has risen and overcome death. And you know why? Because he needed to make the final prophecy complete that death would not have its way, that evil did not break in that death has been defeated and that we can have hope that if we follow him in this life, we follow him in this death and there is power that we cannot comprehend because it is the glory of Jesus that can arise up from the dead and so can we with the hope that we have been given in him. Death being defeated. And all of this being motivated to have this victory from love, pure love. 
And Paul says in Romans 8, verse 38, to the church, that I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He can say that with positivity because he knows that Jesus defeated death and that every single thing was under his feet. He's just a continually prophecy completed, like a checklist. It's just boom, 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 just does it all. (laughs) That's our Jesus. And he just knows it. And we can celebrate it. But again, that verse in Ephesians now, with that sort of knowledge, that little bit of a grasp on just the gospel story about how broken humanity can put something so pure and something of such holiness to death, and he still forgives and says, you're worth it. (laughs) We can sort of begin to understand when he says that having the eyes of our hearts enlightened will know the hope to which we've been called, what the riches of his glorious inheritance in the states, saints, and what's the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe. There's no separation from him anymore. That, that bar set way too high <laughs> just comes in and is just completed with the love and the sacrifice of Jesus that we can follow him, that all can believe, will be set free and will be kept in. And Jesus said that this is literally the only way. In John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth and the life. Believe in me. It's a story that has been told again and again and again. That he was rejected even by his best friends. You know, on the night before he was crucified, his best friends, he'd actually washed their feet. And I have to say, I don't think I'd ever wash any of my friends' feet. (laughs) But he did out of just humility. We have the king of the universe wanting to serve, wanting to be humbled, wanting to bring close to his friends. And one of his friends was Peter. I love Peter. Founded a great church on a rock. But when he, was, when he was tested, that if he really did love Jesus, when Jesus was getting punished, he ran away. He rejected him three times, not just once. He was scared. He was afraid. He didn't know what was going to happen, and he wasn't willing to defend his best friend, his Lord, and his love for it. But on that day, on the third day, When Jesus is risen from the dead, Mary and the women come to them and they say, the tomb's empty. And rather than the fear of Peter, rather than the thought that he he might, I don't know, he might come and condemn condemn him, here he is running towards the tomb 
running with open arms, curiosity, marvel, hope that this Jesus did what he said and every single thing that was promised was fulfilled in him. He'd done it and he didn't have to fear Jesus because he knew the character and he was too excited. And I see these fences again of the law and how they were overcome by the grace of Jesus that we'd live in a new covenant, fully freed from it. And I see this in my own life. (laughs) Because when I see Jesus, that when I look at my own life and see the complete mess that it was in, the complete wickedness that I had, that Jesus saw the the girl that he had defended time and time again, the daughter he had gifted in many areas to not be ashamed about her appearance and height, the one he gave a safe family to look after her, the one he had withheld disaster from every single day, the one he had healed from various diseases, the one he had revealed his love to in a youth camp, the one he had visited in dreams and visions through the woes of high school, the one he had planted into a Christian school and into church, the one he had loved every single moment and revealed himself in the Word, the one he had provided mentors to come and rescue and angels in foreign cities to protect. And when she called in a mess of her life in repentance, sick, isolated, afraid, ashamed and tired, he came out with to that prodigal with not a condemnation of all she'd done, but came running towards her. He saw his daughter, not the sin entangling and choking her. He opened and parted through those fences and jumped over and ran a path straight from the throne room of heaven to that dirty, ripped, dethroned robe that she wore. And he said, come to me and loved her for he is love. And she's still running. He didn't wait until I ran for a couple of years to make that robe white. He did it in a moment of repentance. And to Him through our eyes, see the shortcomings, He only saw His daughter. That would only fall short compared to the perfect Lord. But we'd see that in the ocean of grace that He had for us, that we'd come welcomed into His arms unashamed of his words, unashamed of who we'd been, unashamed of what we'd done, but running towards his open love and available love. That the cross, these hands that were pierced and broken and wounded were still available and open and just said, said that I could not live, I could not forgive, I could not meet up to that expectation. He said, good, you were never made to. You were always made in that heart to turn to me. And now there is no separation. And I don't know your situation because that fear of rejection, he knows it. That fear of not being accepted, I lift it. 
and that fear of living a Christian life but then falling down so hard that you don't believe that you're ever worthy to get up. Here's Jesus sitting on the ground saying, has anybody else condemned you? He said, only me, Jesus. And He says, I don't condemn you. Get up, child. You were born for greatness. You were born for more than this. You were born for more to share the hope of the Gospel. To tell people that have trapped themselves in prison walls to say that they are not enough. We were never enough without the grace and love and hope of Jesus. That was the entire point. But He comes with open arms and says, Come to me. Turn from your ways and follow and have something not just to look forward to in this life of continual intimacy, but something in the next life that we can spend time. We're free. We're free. And that's the power of Jesus and that's the hope that in which we're called for. And it makes you ruined for anything less because He's jealous for you because He sees how your heart has been twisted and, and turned to be seeking other things. Your attention gaze to try and get acceptance from people. Believe me, I know. And I thought a medal was going to help me try and fill that up. To put all that attention into one thing to get acceptance, it just makes that fear increase. If you try and do a relationship and say, now I'm going to be accepted, I've got news for you, it doesn't. The only thing that satisfies completely is Jesus. And that empty grave means a full life ahead of us because we know His goodness. We've tasted and seen. He runs to us with open arms, but I want to encourage you tonight. Why don't you run to Him? That's the grace that we live in and people have yearned for years to have a covenant like this and we have been arised for such a time as this. So prepare your hearts. And I'm just going to pray a quick prayer. And I want to invite you with every eye closed and head bowed. If, if what I've been talking about is an Easter message that wasn't quite what you expected, <laughs> me neither. But the gospel is true. And if anyone has never made that decision to be able to confidently say that I've surrendered my life to Jesus, that I understand the nature that I'm in and I want to receive the fullness that He has given, then I just want to ask for you to raise your hand. You don't have to come out the front. Yeah, thank you. I see some hands. And we're just going to pray to have that wisdom of revelation. So I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your incredible sacrifice. We thank You that from the cross we have freedom. That from the cross we have acceptance into Your Kingdom. And it was nothing from what we've done and we realise that. We want to say thank You, Jesus, for making a way when there was no way. And we want to ask for You to enter our hearts that you could open the eyes and that we could see with clarity, with revelation and wisdom of how great you are and that we'd tell the world about you because you're worthy of it. You're so worthy of it.
We want to just turn from our sins, Lord. Turn from what we thought was a good life and point and run straight to you and point others to share the hope of this message. Lord, we commit our lives to you and we want to serve you for the rest of them. In your mighty name, Lord, we serve you, we love you, and we'll stay close to you.